0: Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that delves into every corner of the property world. Today, we're taking a look at new analysis that suggests a little bit of cooperation could unlock some serious value in key parts of the London residential market.
1: In some areas which are very well connected but have no retail or leisure offering, you're looking at up to 50% value uplift.
0: But it isn't straightforward and getting the mix right might be key to maximising returns.
2: It's not just a case of retail use on the ground floor. Actually, it's about a leisure, amenity use, and that could be restaurants, gym, and also sort of experimental leisure provision like virtual reality, competitive socialising.
0: I'm Guy Ruddle, and joining me are three people who know more than is healthy about the London market. Ed Green leads the London Residential Research Team at Savills. Hello, Ed. Hello there. Marie Hickey is a Director in Retail Research at Savills. Hello, Marie. Hello. And Tom Mann runs the Residential Development Consultancy Team at Savills. Hello, Tom. Hello. So let's start with you, Ed, because uh, you're sort of behind this new analysis. So there's nothing fantastically new about the idea that people want to live near good
1: retail and restaurants and and the like so so what have you done and why i guess the interesting thing about what we've done is we've really identified the clear relationship between quality of retail and leisure and residential value um, so we've done that by creating a retail and leisure score based on a number of different factors um, and then we can look at that according to travel time bands into central key Lon- central london employment hubs so the travel thing is is, is, a, is a key element of this is it? it's a really interesting part of it actually because what you can see is that the the relationship between uh, retail and leisure quality and residential value um, is much more exaggerated when you have better travel times. So we can, we can look across London um, down to quite a local area. And then if a place happens to have poor, residential, sorry, poor retail and leisure quality, we can then look at that and say, well, if you were to improve the retail and leisure quality by a certain amount what would the residential value then be according to the relationship across London?
0: What's the maximum? You know, what's the maximum increase in value? I mean, are you talking about a lot of change in, in what, you know, price per square foot?
1: We're yeah, we're, we're looking at quite significant difference. So, I mean, in, in some areas which are very well connected, but have no retail or leisure offering, you're looking at up to 50% value uplift. And Tom, you're talking to developers all the time. Yes. Do, do they recognise
3: this? They do, but I think one of the big challenges is, of course, how how much can a single development elicit that kind of change? Um, But a lot of the projects we do work on are are very, very large. And a lot of our our clients, and we often get more involved as well, uh, want to understand what they need to do in order to facilitate that change. Because a a very, very large site, which has many thousands of residential units, typically needs quite a lot of retail to go with it. But what that's going to constitute is... It's an enormous challenge, especially in, the, in a world where the retail environment is changing so profoundly. Yeah, because – go on, you're... Yeah, I was
2: going to say, and also it's not necessarily retail. I think if you look at how consumers are spending their time and their money, that's changed significantly. So, you know, since 2009, the fastest growing part of household spend is actually leisure and recreation. So for developers, it's not just a case of, okay, it's a retail use on the ground floor. Actually, it's about a leisure, um, amenity use, and that could be restaurants, gym, and also sort of experimental leisure provision like virtual reality, competitive socialising.
3: One of the big challenges that we've seen in the last 10, 15 years is there's been something of an arms race when it comes to amenities that developers are willing to provide on large development sites. So typically a develop- development will provide you know a gym, swimming pool, a residence lounge, potentially a cafe, etc., uh, but with that comes also an increasing service charge and actually when the you know when, when mortgage constraints are are than they've been before, when the cost of living is uh is pretty high when you've suddenly got a service charge that is is, is pretty large as well, that can make a a difference to a buyer uh, or, or even a rental tenant so the big challenge is, is how can sort of place making and, and a look at retail that provides all those things that are you know considered immunity uh but are actually provided by commercial uh, enterprises how can how can they provide the quality of life without a developer having to pay for them but also the end user having to pay for them through a huge service mm-hmm. charge without any choice
2: and on top of that you've got you know the retailers and the leisure operators they want more flexibility in terms of the lease terms i think the old days of a, you know a leisure operator or a retailer will come up and go yeah we'll take a 10 year 15 year lease those days are gone to a certain extent, depending on the location. Um, How do developers of large mixed use schemes provide that greater flexibility for those operators to come in and operate those spaces effectively and generate profit?
0: It could be good the other way around, couldn't it? I mean, you know, for the developers themselves, not being stuck with, uh, I don't know, a restaurant chain for 25 years that you know, 25 years ago was cool and trendy and now only tourists go to it. That's,
3: that's a real risk for developers because a lot of these larger schemes are multi-phase and often not just residential. And in many cases, there's a large amount of rental product that they will retain themselves to provide future rental income. And if they don't retain control of those estates, and it's very much an estate management piece, then that'll potentially severely affect their future income. So being able to be in control of who is operating on their turf has uh, is, is got to be seen as essential going forward.
0: And how, how much is this about getting everybody... I mean, it, it, obviously, around this table, everybody is talking and friendly and uh, you all work with the same organisation and one imagines that you don't fight too much when you're oh, yes. at your desk in, instead of here. But how much is it about getting you know people in tom's world and people in marie's world to to think long term together from
1: the from the beginning i think it's hugely important yeah um real estate across london needs to be used i guess in the best way possible both to provide more homes for londoners um, and also just generally to create good places vibrant places that people want to go to so it's vital that we don't just plonk a load of flats down somewhere and not think about the wider use of what's going on and go on
2: and to add to that i think the challenge is to the developers to listen to the occupiers whether they're retail and leisure and actually understand how they want to occupy the space and be open to that conversation
3: tom get them to listen we are trying <laughs> <laughs> and many many of them do yeah and I, there are some fantastic examples of how particularly on schemes like king's cross where the implementation of the, of the retail uh was absolutely the bedrock of of, of everything that's been done there they their approach has been, uh, by many, you know, seemed to be an, an absolute exemplar in the, in the development community because they've created a place, first and foremost, and then they've cre- they've got a huge amount of commercial space and a vast amount of residential as well. But the values there have been propped up by the placemaking that's been done. A placemaking is a word that's been sort of bandied around an awful lot. But that is you know, so often driven by bringing people in that retail and leisure component.
0: We talk a lot about developers here, of course, and retailers a bit, but um, is this
3: good news or does it help for for home buyers and homeowners enormously i mean one of the key things that drives a lot of buyers is convenience and if a lot of the research that ed and his team have done is pointed to you know transport quality of retail etc for people buying in a development if, if the retail there serves their needs then that's that's incredibly important and that will add value to their lives not just to their real estate
0: can we turn this around completely Marie, and, and, and look at it from the retailers' point of view because you know, you'll know as well as anybody, and we all and we all and, and, and not any anybody, everybody knows retail's struggling, your know, physical retail is struggling, you've got empty space, and all that sort of stuff. Is, is there anything that could be done from looking at it from that point of view?
2: I would say, you know, London is still a place retailers want to be. Saying that, you know, there are parts of London where we might have too much space. In a scenario where some retailers are rationalising their portfolios, but that provides opportunities for owners of retail properties to redevelop it, uh, re-intensify, so bring in new uses, notably resi, because if you bring in residential, you're essentially creating additional footfall for the retail that remains. Does
1: that play for you too? Yeah, there's a real symbiosis there between retail and residential. We've done some research which shows that. up to 50% of London's vacant floor space, vacant retail floor space, is in areas where you could actually build um, homes which are at a relatively affordable price point for Londoners. So there's a significant opportunity there for developers to get on board, look out for those opportunities, um, and try to build some more homes.
3: So, for example, we've uh, worked on projects where we've had a supermarket where you've got a car park on one part of the site, surface car park, and a large uh, effectively grosser trading next door. They don't want to lose any trade. On the car park side, there's an opportunity to build a new supermarket with residential above, providing income from the residential as well as the supermarket. But but also, once you've knocked down the old supermarket, you can build more residential on top of that, providing even more income. And if you're a REIT, the opportunity to create a, a larger income off your specific, single piece of land, that's, that's, a, that's a hugely enticing thing to, to do. And I remember Murray's been, I know, speaking to a number of such uh, landowners, as have we.
2: And, the, you know these you know, the REITs, the those long term investors, they're already used to being long term holders of estate. So you could say in some cases, they might be very well placed to, you know, do that place creation and add that additional value.
0: Whenever we do these podcasts, I'm I'm always looking uh, for the magic bullet to solve the, the housing crisis. We know we're not building enough houses, nearly enough houses in London and the rest of the country. Is this the magic bullet?
1: Um, I don't think it's the magic bullet but I think it's it's a it's a significant opportunity for London to build more homes. So as you say there's 90 we estimate that you need to be building around 94,000 homes a year in London to improve affordability. Currently the most recent figures suggest we built around 40,000 homes last year so a really significant shortfall. Um we expect in the markets which need it most which is the markets below 700 pounds a square foot. That's where 87 percent of demand is for housing in london so with this lovely overlap this very convenient overlap between uh, vacant retail um, and the big big uh, amount of demand for residential there's a nice opportunity there to deliver more homes but yeah it's a big challenge and it's not something that simply redeveloping uh, retail sites is going to solve in itself so
0: just to sum all that up, then that bit and talking earlier uh, uh, about uh, the, you know, the development and uh, and is working with developers, developers working with retail is better. It's all very well thinking about it and then writing about it and us talking about it. Is it really going to happen? Marie?
2: Yes. And uh, can Go I on. say why? Yeah. I, I, think particularly, like. <laughs> <laughs> I think particularly for the REITs that own shopping centres, let's say, I think they have in some ways they have to because of the challenges facing retail. So I think now is a perfect opportunity. Tom?
3: I think residential developers have certainly woken up to the fact that retail has not been particularly well executed on many of their sites. And as a result, when five, ten years after completion of a development, they've still got empty retail units, uh, they know something's wrong. And many of them we've had that conversation with where they want to, s- to see things done differently. The challenge is, of course getting people to think differently about how they attribute value to retail particularly when they're purchasing a site normally with the benefit of a planning consent there is a value attributed to that how that is realized typically for developers how soon can we realize that there has to be a longer term view and if the if, if, it, if that creates more value and actually that creates more value for the residential as well then there's an opportunity there which i, I can't see any developer not willing to investigate for more thoroughly
0: So Savile standout statistic time, putting everybody on the spot yet again. We're looking for a single statistic that makes people's eyebrows go up or go, ooh, or something like that. Uh, let's start with the research man. Oh, we'll that's my
1: favourite part. OK, so I've got one, but I'm going to have to repeat what I said earlier, uh, which is at least half a vacant retail floor space in London. Um, is in areas which are below £700 per square foot on the residential side. So basically, you can build a lot more homes at affordable price points in these areas.
0: Marie, what's your Savills standout statistic?
2: Well, mine's very much a retail-focused one. And I think a key one to flag, even with the environment in terms of challenges facing retail, but uh, we estimate about 30% of online retail sales touch a store in some way so that's either through click and collect or where the consumer's gone in store tried the product but ordered it at home which highlights that having a store for retailers for brands is still very important particularly in london
3: yeah yeah that's it that is surprising tom what's yours uh, I guess it's just to sort of highlight the scale of um, the opportunities in London I mean as a team we're advising on over 40 billion pounds worth of development residential development in London uh, majority of which is mixed use so there's, there's a hell of a lot going on out there uh, and there's an awful lot that needs to be done still
0: yeah. and that's just you and your team yeah wow there is a lot of activity guys you know, it's been fascinating. Thank you very much for being here. Have and you all enjoyed bloody. it?
2: Yeah, very much so. Enjoyed
1: might be a strong word, but I've found it. Oh,
0: nice.
2: I liked it. Oh,
1: good.
2: I'll do I'll do it. another one. <laughs> good. That's I'll even s- listen to one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't start that. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you all for being here. It's been really, I, for one, have found it absolutely fascinating. And if you want to find out more, then there's lots of detail, including some excellent maps of hot and not-so-hot spots in the London Residential Development Report, which can be found on the research section of the Savills website site savills.co.uk slash research or you can find a link in the episode information of this podcast and if you want to make sure you don't miss out on any future pearls of property wisdom from real estate insights then please subscribe to us using your usual podcast provider you can even rate us or review us if you wish in the meantime thank you very much for listening see you next time